Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Today is a Coach's Corner episode with professional runner and fellow McCurdy-trained coach, John Ranieri. Before we get into it, I do want to give a shout-out to a sponsor for Sigmatic. John, do you drink coffee? I do, yeah. You do. You got to try mushroom coffee, John. For Sigmatic as mushroom coffee, it tastes absolutely fantastic. It's it's like, you know, I love coffee. I'm a coffee. I'm going to say coffee snob because I will drink anything, but I am definitely particular and at first I wasn't going to, I wasn't into it. Like I was at first like, all right, I heard them on, like, I think it was, um, uh, Tim Ferriss had them as a sponsor, like six years ago. I'm like, I would never try mushroom coffee. That sounds ridiculous. I finally did. And it's fantastic. So you get all the adaptogens that come with the mushrooms. You still get that caffeine boost and it tastes good, which you get like the single serving packs or you can get like the normal drip coffee. It's really good. I advise anybody, if you like coffee, give this a try because not only are you going to get the normal stuff that you get out of it, but you get the adaptogens as well. So why not have a healthy coffee that also tastes great? In addition to that, you can get 10% off code rambling runner at foursigmatic.com that's f-o-u-r sigmatic.com you also go to the show notes for the link in there as well john big weekend coming up in the running world yes yes uh chicago and boston man the world majors are sandwiched in 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 about a six-week period right and we've never been able to say it's chicago and boston marathon weekend that's a first it is. It is. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, I know certainly on your end, uh, and, and also like on mine, it makes planning a little hectic, right? But, you know, I guess tis the season. That is for sure. And, and, you know, there's so many interesting things happening between all the world marathon majors and just marathons that are happening locally for a lot of people. Kind of tis the season. And I don't know about you. It kind of feels like this is it feels like there is um marathon fever for so many people right now um you know we have we coach people uh, I don't know what what percent of people that you coach are running a marathon this fall for me it's about 40%. I've around 50%. Yeah. Okay. I would I would like I would say maybe like I would like ballpark it lower end 40% and then higher end 50. Yeah. So I mean that's a significant amount. And, you know, we, we, it's like that, that's, that's astonishing. We spend a lot of time with those athletes. That's for sure. Especially, you know, like you said, like leading into these kinds of weekends, you know, we're checking the weather all the time. We're trying to make sure everyone's on point and they're feeling good. But with that said, there is a feeling out there that like everyone's running a marathon, right? That anybody who can run a marathon is running a marathon. And there is a lot of people, but as we just mentioned, and I don't think it's, I don't think we're outliers in this sense, we still have over half of our athlete rosters out there not running a marathon. And I feel like those people probably feel like they're, they're like the only ones not doing it. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I, you know, like, I mean, like there's such high demand for the marathon right now because races have been canceled and, and, and it's been a good time since, since, you know, like you've seen a world major, right. So, um, like the fever behind that is incredible. Um, but I could also see the flip side too, right for, for reasons of, um, injury or, or if just like life is getting super, super stressful, uh, like marathons don't make sense. Right. 
And, and so kind of like you were pointing at, sometimes we need to focus on something different, right? So um, I guess I'll tee you up for that. No, absolutely. And I just want to say this, this episode is for all those runners who aren't running marathon this, this season and feel like, oh, I'm missing out. What am I? I'm not, I'm not doing the things that I should be doing. Our, we, our last coach's corner episode was two weeks ago with James McCurdy talking about, let's talk about tapers. Right. And that was really useful, but you know what? That only matters for people who are running marathon. The other half of the group, this one's for you. Um, and Hey, I've shoot. It's been a decade for me since I've run a marathon. So I've always, I perpetually been in, this is not <laughs> marathon season for me. So I know all about what it feels like not to be running marathon when it feels like everybody is. And there definitely is this sense of, um, you know, not fear of missing out because I didn't run one intentionally. Most of the time it wasn't, there were a couple injury hiccups that caused me not to run a marathon. So that definitely did pop up and, and those stink, but there were plenty of times where I was like, you know what? No, just no someday, not today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, you know, like, and I see the biggest reason, um, that folks sometimes actually want to run a marathon is because, well, it's, it's, you know, because there's an opportunity and like, there's a challenge ahead of them and the marathon for years and years and years has always been that one event that's like, that's super challenging and super grueling and requires different energy systems and, different muscle activation and you know like it's just like one of those things that just like just like attracts a lot of people right so i'm mean, like i could see that from your perspective too you know but i mean like well like i mean like coming from your perspective matt um i mean like do you see yourself running a marathon in the next two years john i see myself running marathon in two and a half months i have signed up for the california international marathon that's wonderful so yeah. I'm, I'm really right. excited about it. I still have to buy the plane tickets. I don't. I can't say why that hasn't happened yet, but I will be there. I will be there this time running. I am super excited. So I've been up in the training, and you know, I got a 14 miler tomorrow, and I got 10 the next day, and I'm excited to to bite it off because it's it's been a while. I didn't run a marathon in my 30s. Basically, I ran one. I ran two late 20s. Took a decade. You know, so, like, for recovery. you just like skipped your 30s. You're like, eh, no. You know what? Recovery is <laughs> a very important part of the game. And then now I'm back into it in my 40s. Yeah, man. I mean, like, I guess, like, let's dive into this. Let's, uh, yeah, like, let's do it. All right, let's do it. All right. So, first of all, there's, like, and you, you hinted at some of this stuff. Like, there is no shame in not running a marathon this season, okay? Or any season, for that matter. And there's so many reasons why certain people might, right? You have, shoot. Running a especially early fall marathon necessitates a lot of training over the summer. And the summer is hot anywhere. But especially if you live in certain areas, that can be a grind, especially if you're newer to the distance. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, when we talk about heat, humidity, dew point, um, you know, even if we talk about elevation, right, like being up at five or six or seven thousand feet, um, those present challenges. I mean, even where like. Well, like, I mean, like, even like where you live, Matt, I mean, like, I'm sure the wind is, is, you know, probably average 10 miles per hour per day, you know? So it's, you know, like, I think wherever you are, like presents a challenge, uh, to train for that distance, you know, for example, like I'm up at 7,000 feet all year. So we need to adjust for that. Um, but summertime is very interesting because, you know, in parts of the country where it can get cool in the winter, um, and like, you're so used to running fast. Um, it could be a really hard adjustment to just show up in June and then have a marathon run or have a threshold run and be like, 
wow, that felt really hard. And I was 20 seconds slower per mile. Um, like, it's not like you're losing fitness. It's just, it's mentally and, and like physically very taxing for, for, you know, like, you know, like just like a whole abundance of reasons. Right. And then the recovery can be a whole nother thing, right? Recovery from some of those mammoth runs in the heat. And this is something I'm telling some of my runners uh, who are running Chicago this weekend is that like, you know, once you overheat, you're not coming back during that run. Like you're not going to cool down on the run. So again, that's another reason why a lot of people uh, instinctive, either instinctually or they've thought it out, you know, just don't want to train through the summer for a marathon. And, and uh, you know, the, one of the benefits of the winter is, Unless it's icy, you can just bundle up, right? For the most part, unless you're, unless you're in extreme conditions. Um, like you can put on clothing. That's like, that's like, that's not an issue like at all. So, right. All right. So let's dive into this. Okay. So there's going to be a, a certain a wide group of people, big group of people right now who are not, who are not getting ready for, for a marathon in the fall. However, do have plans for running one in the spring. So right now I am kind of discounting CIM and Houston, right? Kind of like the winter marathons. Um, so obviously there's certain people who are going to fall into that group, even people who are running maybe a race this weekend who are going to run some of those marathons. I'm talking about the ones that are literally in the springtime because we want to focus on what do runners or what can runners do right now over the next three months or so as they kind of start to lead into basically the time before their marathon block is this time right now where they want to prepare themselves so they can run the best marathon they can, but do so in a way that's sustainable, enjoyable, that's going to keep them healthy, not have them burnt out. Like There's a lot of considerations when you have uh, an A race that's that distance that's still, you know, seven, maybe seven months away, eight months away for some people. Um, but they have that fever because all their friends are running a fall marathon. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like it's, you know, like, well, you know, like it's like extremely contagious. Right. But, uh, one thing where you could really start is mentally preparing yourself for saying, Hey, look, this is a different time of year. This is, you know, like a different time of season. Um, you know, I mean, like I know from a personal perspective, I will take seasons just to focus on getting better at a seven mile, 10 mile, 10 K, um, like half marathon. And that work looks much different. Volume could fluctuate from from 90 miles a week, you know, like during that time to 120 or 125 while prepping for a marathon. So it will really be different. But first things first, mentally, you just got to like be okay with not racing one and also look at the upsides of actually focusing on a half marathon, focusing on a 10K, focusing on a 5K. There's a lot of really good things that you can get out of that. Um, from like a neuromuscular and, um, physiological perspective, like I would say, um, getting better at like interval training, focus on like, you know, like any like threshold training and more importantly, like really working on your running economy, um, on both ends, right. The faster end and then more towards your threshold. Um, like that's going to pay dividends and that's going to make your marathon like pace and effort way quicker than it was before. Um, and you're going to see these gains, right? So it's not just going to be like, don't compare winter to summer, right? Compare winter of last year to winter of this year or compare summer of last year to summer of this year. Um, those are the comparisons you need to make and you just need to have trust and you just got to have a little faith in the system that that's going to get you there. But 
certainly it's going to break up the monotony and, you know, be of great use, especially when you want to run your best marathon because you're not tired, you're not overworked. Um, you know, you feel great. You build up seven or eight weeks, you know, like as it really should be, as most professionals do, honestly. Um, and you're going to be on that start line happy and healthy and thanking yourself because you did take a season off from the marathon. All right. So let's talk about why building speed um, and uh, a corollary of that and certainly as ties into it, running economy. First of all, what is running economy and why is building speed important for the marathon? Obviously, like this is a leading question. I kind of know the answer to this, but I but at the same time, like, you know, this is this is something that I talk to my athletes all the time, especially on like an intro call with some of my athletes. I'm like, hey, here's some things that we're going to do as we're building up. And I always get the question like, but wait, you know, why we're not. Why am I going to focus on this when it's not ultimately the goal is the marathon? Sure. So kind of similar to how you would give an athlete workout. Right. So like if you gave them like 16 by 200 at like a rep pace, right? Um, that would be specifically to gain running economy at that mile, at that 3K, you know, um, um, speed. And that specifically would make adaptations over time if you repeatedly did that. You know, that could be considered like a hill workout or it could be considered like elevated striders in a run or it could just be on a track and you're doing anywhere from 10 to 16 by 200 or doing longer reps, you know, like at the appropriate time base. Right. But certainly the idea is that if you get your legs used to running faster and running faster, more comfortably, you're going to feel better running slower for like for a much longer period of time. And when we talk about running economy, running economy is different, right? Like this is why, and I mean, like, I'm going to geek out about this now, but this is why 1500 meter runners are great at their discipline. This is why 5,000 meter runners are great at their discipline. It's why 10,000 meter runners are great at their discipline. And then half guys and marathon guys and guys in between, right? Like um, you get a few guys that are really, really proficient, like 5K, 10K, half marathon, maybe step up to a marathon. That's like, you know, like that's like pretty rare and you don't see that too often. So like that's like, that's kind of more of like an outlier. But if someone's doing rep pace all the time, if someone's running mile pace all the time, like if someone's putting in threshold work to use that as their aerobic base, like, like really like just in the other end, right. And maybe not running as much, but focusing more on speed, that person is going to be incredibly just like gifted and great at the 1500, right. And each distance going up, well, you have a certain combination of like strength and speed that you would follow because realistically from the mile up, like, I think the mile is like, like, don't quote me on this, like 75% aerobic, right? Yeah, I think I had read 87%, but like the, the, the point still holds. Yeah. So like, I mean, like the mile is still within that window and the marathon's 96% aerobic, you know, so. And, and 6% walking at aid stations for water. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, like um, you're like still going to get those benefits while training for a 1500, while training for a 5k and like while training for a, you know. Like, just like, you know, like, I mean, like really any distance sub marathon. Um, so long story short, running economy does change based on the event and based on how much you practice it. Right. And just being able to have like a certain amount of running power from like, the, the the best kind of cadence that your body can get is going to benefit you at all levels, right? Because if you can really have that kind of explosive power, you know, you don't see, you know, it has a, um, it's like the opposite of like uh, Reaganomics. It has like a trickle up effect. 
So you have like, you know, the faster you can run a mile is the faster you can run a 5K and then a 10K and then a 15K. Again, all with the caveat of that you have the appropriate mileage to run these races, right? So especially as you get up into the, the half marathon and marathon well, like, distances. And I think you did bring up an interesting point, Matt. You know, like it, like it really is determined by the volume that you're running to. You know, like, I mean, like I've had a few conversations with some athletes and, you know, like they ask, well, like, why are we doing this marathon work? when we're training for like a 5k or 10k, I say simple because that's going to benefit your 5k and 10k from an aerobic side. And if we touch that once in a while, you're not going to forget that cadence. You're not going to forget that muscle recruitment. Like you're not going to forget that stride and how it feels to run like a 650 mile. Right. Um, so that's also really important. Like just because you are training for speed, or, you know, like a mile, 5K, 10K doesn't mean you should neglect half marathon and marathon work. That should always be sprinkled in. Um, you know, I mean, like I look at some of the best professional groups who coach 1500 meter runners. You know, like I think every week, like they'll put in four to five miles or six miles worth, like actually worth a threshold work. And they need that to be really good at their event in the 1500, right? Um, so you always need that aerobic base, right? And like it, like it kind of goes to uh, your point there, where you were saying, well, as long as you do the appropriate, uh, you know, um, aerobic work to actually back that speed work. All right, we're gonna stop right there, take a quick break for some ads from companies that I'm loving, then we'll get right back to it. John, I completely agree with what you're saying. Right, you have you're sprinkling in, you know, basically for thinking about the long term of the marathon, we're keeping those elements of you know, of that strong aerobic building that we're doing, not simply by doing easy runs, which is obviously a major part of this, but I have that marathon effort in there as well, because that's kind of like easy plus in a way, like it really does build up that aerobic base, um, that aerobic threshold side of things. Oh, you're not getting anaerobic. So it really does tie in nicely to that. Obviously you can't run everything at marathon pace because if you are either you're going to burn out or that's no longer your marathon pace, but, um, but sprinkling in these faster times, because also, And this is another part of it is that running faster oftentimes can be more fun and exciting, especially if you're running them in different places. And with the with the athletes that a lot of us are coaching or that a lot of us that are listening to this podcast might be the kind of athletes who um, maybe didn't, you know, like I'm like I'm not a good example of this. Right. Like for me. I need to go the other way. I need to constantly build up the aerobic side because I'm more of a fast switch athlete who like really struggles with the threshold and the marathon pace compared to people who maybe I run a 5K with, right? If we went on a longer run, it doesn't look great as compared to if I ran with them on, on the track, right? Sure. Whereas a lot of the people that I coach, they kind of come at the opposite. Like they, they are not used to running fast. They haven't run fast in a while. And that really does have this like um, it's like a governor on their engine in terms of what they can accomplish at the longer distances because they just haven't tapped into that, not only from a metabolic situation, but, you know, the neuromuscular side of things and just being explosive, Because a lot of that, even if you're not getting anaerobic in these longer races, the explosion part of it matters, especially as you start to lengthen out your stride and get as much power as you can with as little effort as possible. I mean, like, absolutely. So, like, I would say long term, um, like one of the biggest benefits to the marathon besides mileage and aerobic work and, you know, doing it over years and years and years is, is one, weight room work. 
because you're recruiting more muscles and you're activating them and you're touching things that you would normally touch in regular training. And, 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 you know, two working on things like your running economy and working on speed. If you're a great marathoner and your marathons like already like wonderful, but you have no speed. Well, you have something to work on because if you actually have some wheels, you could surprise some people in the last four or five miles, like six miles, or even put a surge in a race and be able to compete, you know? So, um, I mean, like, I think from that standpoint of physically being able to meet the challenge, um, you kind of need that stimuli. Absolutely. Right. Cause you're not going to have someone who's running say like a three thirty marathon, which is eight minute pace. And a lot of people target that cause that's kind of like in the BQ zone, uh, especially for a lot of our female runners. Um, you know, obviously where this depends on age and all those things, but anyway, let's just use that as an example. It's a really good round number for a lot of us to use someone who's in that range. You know, it's not like their best mile time is seven minutes, right? No. In fact, that's probably no. not even their 5K pace, right? It's, it's going to be lower than that. So it really does dial it in. And I think a lot of us got to see this during COVID where we had a lot of athletes who did the McCurdy Mile Series, which oh, was man, a really like, that fun was exercise. Such a cool series. Yeah, right. that was that like that was so mind blowing. I mean, it was, you know. Like we find that some people are, are like really comfortable running, running, you know, like fast. And then, and then, you know, like, I think we find out that some people have the weakness that, okay, maybe faster running isn't their thing. Right. So like, I think it was a good test to see, okay, like what can we improve on? Like, where are our weaknesses and where are our strengths? Right. So we had basically four, four different miles over six weeks. And a lot of people were training for these. And it was interesting because we saw so many people improve rapidly. But I would argue, painting with a broad brush here, again, this doesn't apply to everybody, Lord knows, that a lot of that improvement was not necessarily an improvement in fitness level. It was much more of an improvement of feeling what it, basically, you know, remembering what it feels like to run fast. And to run fast for, you know, a little bit of time, like maybe two minutes, you know, one minute, two minutes, not like that, that short little burst, not like a hundred meter quick stride, right? It's kind of extending it out a little bit and then getting used to feeling that way. And, you know, running with the sense of, and this is more mental and emotional of like, you know, like you can run fast, right? Like just take, taking the, the training wheels off a little bit because I saw people who would improve by like 30 seconds in like three weeks. You're like, you're not a 30 second more fit person. This is simply getting used to doing this. I mean, correct, right? Like let's say that you take an athlete and like they ran their first mile and they ran it at 740, right? I mean, and they're like, oh, well, you know, I mean, like, I think I have this area to improve on. And well, like, I felt like I could have expended myself a little bit more. And like, I feel like that first mile, I saw like a lot of people testing the waters, right? Because maybe it was like, well, I don't feel comfortable, you know, like going all out this time. Or some people would take it out way too fast that first 400 meters and blow up, right? Um, <laughs> or, 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 you know, just like a whole bunch of scenarios just kind of on top of that. Uh, but like, that was a trial, right? So it was like those first two miles and it was like, okay, like, I think I'm more comfortable running faster for a longer amount of time. I have more exposure at that pace. Like I, I, I actually like have a story. I've like, I've been like coaching this guy and he, um, ran his first mile, I think in seven twenty or seven thirty, And his last mile was like six thirteen of the season. 
Oh, that's awesome. And I don't think it was the mile series, actually. Like, it was kind of more recently, but we did like two or three miles. And he went from running like a 720 to a 613. And my mind was blown. I didn't even think he could run that quick, and he did it, right? Um, but what's also very interesting is that that same athlete does does have like just like a lot of work to do on the aerobic end, kind of like you were talking about before, too. Um, so he was kind of more geared towards speed. Um, you know, like as opposed to the distance. Right. So it was in there. Just had to kiss. Yes. You know, rust yes. buster. Get all, get all the rust. Get the dust off. Yeah. And yeah. Then, and, yeah. And then we're good to go. Well, let's talk about the other side of things, right? And this is this applies to everybody. Just like that last one applies to everybody. But maybe it's um, you'll see more immediate results for certain people more than others. I think the other thing here, uh, again, there's more than two things, but another big thing here is the runs that last two hours. Right. Like getting used to running or being on your feet for two hours. Again, I'm not setting a mileage here. I'm purposely saying two hours because just from a physiological perspective, things change around that mark. Again, um, for certain people, that might mean 10 to 12 miles. For other people, that might be 14 to 17 miles. And, um, you know, from a fitness perspective, again, it's, it's all kind of a wash. But getting as many two hour runs in your training as you can sustainably. Again, even if it's like you're running 35 miles a week, but every weekend you're like, no, I'm going to run, you know, my two hour run. Again, I think there is, that is like the holy grail for this because you can do that sustainably without burning out and you can dial in. All right. What does it mean from a nutrition perspective? What's too much, right? What's something that I can handle? What's, what, what can I do to make sure I dial in my GI system? In addition to that, just being used to being on your feet for that long, your aerobic system gets dialed in and all the positive aerobic benefits, it's enormous. And for me, it's for me, like it it's changed drastically in terms of just being, you know, once you do like one or two, like it again, just like we talked about with like the speed stuff, it, it adapts quickly. It really does. That first one might feel awful. It, it'll probably will if you haven't done it in a while. But once you do that first one or two, your body's gonna re, is gonna adapt really quickly, and it's not gonna be like that same percentage of adaption from that point forward. But it it really is going to make a world of difference. Yeah, you know, I mean, like I think there's a reason why uh, most college programs, um, most running programs in general. Um, like have a long run over two hours, you know, like when I'm going to train my athlete for a mile, 5k or 10k, um, like depending on their life demands and what they could handle and kind of what they've done, like I'll give them somewhere between an hour and 45 to two hours. And generally that's a very good spot. Um, like they're really going to benefit from that. Right. And like, like you said, once that becomes a repeated action, then you're going to see more adaptations, you know, a little bit less every time, but certainly like you know, you're going to see it three months from now, six months from now, like 12 months from now, right? Like you're going to lean out a little bit more, right? Like, like you're like, you know, like, um, you're like, you're going to be like a little bit more hungry every week. Um, it's, it's just, you know, um, you're going to see these little like signs and symptoms of like, wow, like, like I'm getting fitter, like, uh, my body's adapting to it. But again, like, I think there's a reason why you see most programs and they have two hour plus long runs or, you know, an hour and 45, two hours. Um, I mean, there's certainly a reason for it. And, you know, it does wonders, you know, I mean, like pretty much from like whatever I um, explained before, but yeah, it, it's, you know, 
Um, I would like, I wouldn't say like it's a game changer, but I would say it's like certainly one of those things that, that you need, because again, the mile is 87% aerobic or 84% aerobic or somewhere around there. Right. And the other thing too, is once you've established a, you know, two hour ish long run as the norm, then it allows you that during sets you up for your, the marathon. No, absolutely. Right. Cause then all of a sudden in, in a few months, you'll be able to like really like work on marathon and threshold pace in your long run because the the time on feet is not an issue anymore. It's just this is what I do on the weekends. No big deal. Now all of a sudden incorporating some some maybe some quicker paces in there um, is again this is going to be par for the course as opposed to during your training cycle saying, all right, like now I have to do two things at once. I have to get used to this time on feet and get used to marathon pace at the same time, which isn't impossible. There's a lot of people who do it, but it's definitely a taller ask. And it's a much thinner edge in terms of like, all right, well, what happens if you miss a weekend when you're trying to cram all this stuff into one cycle, all of a sudden every weekend is like of vital importance as opposed to like, if you're doing this over a long period of time, you could be like, I'm not feeling this weekend. It's like, okay, well, we're taking it off. You're fine. You're totally fit. You've been doing this for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I guess like, interestingly enough, like it does set you up for marathon mileage weekly too. So like, for example, two years ago when I was training here in Flagstaff, my training cycle leading up for New York city marathon in 2019, um, like that summer I was only running like 70, like, like maybe 75, like 85 miles, you know, like, I mean, like we finally got up to like a hundred or something, but like it wasn't anything crazy for what I've done. But I remember running like 13 or 14 miles for my long run, just, just, you know, just like kind of have those be like the intro weeks. So like, I mean, like over the past two years, like I've made a thing about running longer on the weekends, especially when I'm focusing in that zone of a half marathon or 10K or 5K, like exactly like you were saying. And like, what's that? I mean, like, I think reasonably speaking, like from like an applicable standpoint now, most of my daily runs are 13 miles in the morning. And like, there's a reason why I could do that because I was able to do long runs or like double long runs on the weekend, or I was able to build up to that. So there's no lack of connection between what I could do now to what I've done. So as you're coaching an athlete, Matt, right? Like you want to set them up for, okay, well, maybe during a marathon build, we will do longer singles because you could handle it and you could handle the volume. And you could handle, you know, like all the quality too at the same time. Right. And it does allow you to basically make like a 75 minute run be the norm, right? No matter yes. what mileage yes. that ends up being. Absolutely. Right. So you'll have certain people who'd be like, okay, well, that's, you know, I'm running trails today. So maybe that's six, six and a half miles, right? Or you have someone else who's on the pavement, who's a little bit more fit, who's like, okay, if I'm running for 75 minutes, yeah, we're talking, you know, roughly 10 miles, nine or 10 miles. Um, and again, it's, it's all relative and, and you don't want to smash people. You don't want like someone who's going to be running 10, you know, 10 minute mile pace in the marathon doing, you know, a 10 mile weekday run. Um, that might, that's, that's, that's going to be asking way too much. So that's why I'm defaulting here to some time on feet type stuff. Yeah. So like, um, I should say like as a caveat, uh, like, uh, my like 13 miles are, are anywhere from 80 to 90 minutes. So like if we're talking about time on feet, um, you know, like for someone running nine minute pace, like that could look like eight or nine miles at the very most. 
Right, right. So if you're doing those two hour long runs every weekend around that time, again, like you mentioned, like 145, two hours ish, and then you're making that um, the second to last day of your running cycle. So say the next day you're doing six to eight, like then you're re- now you're cooking with gas because you're not only you're putting that time in, but the next day you're running again for an hour or so. Then you're really getting comfortable in terms of not only the aerobic stuff, but the, this kind of double header type feel also gets your legs used to that bounce back and the strength that comes with that and building up the tolerance within your connective tissue uh, and just the confidence of being able to be like, hey, this is feeling good now. And that's exciting. And, you know, like, I think and you that's- mentioned something, Matt. I mean, like, that's just, I mean, like, that's absolute progress. Like, that's you realizing what you've done and, and being like, wow, like, it's been quite the year, you know, like, I've seen all these gains and jumps and, and sure, I mean, you won't see the same drastic ones all the time, but certainly, like, I think that counts for something. For sure. For sure. All right. Let's talk about making sure that we don't burn out because there's going to be certain people who are very driven and they've been waiting for a marathon for a long time. Their friends are running marathons now. They want to be like, okay, when I finally run it, I want to crush it. I want to get my BQ. I want to do all this stuff. And maybe there's people listening to this who you know want to OTQ, right? And and people who are in that realm probably have a coach and are, are well-versed in all things running. At the same time, it's you can squeeze it too tight and you can do too much too hard for an extended period of time. So let's talk about the real threat here from a burnout perspective. And then also what are some, what are some things that we can do to make sure that we're not only loving what we're doing and we're enjoying it and we're looking forward to it, but that we're setting ourselves up for long-term success. And when I say that, I don't mean just your spring marathon. I'm talking about four springs from now. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, like if I'm having a sit down with an athlete and like, I'm asking that athlete, Hey, what will make you happy? What do you want to do? Right? Like, what are your goals? Uh, and well, you know, like I got to think about it. Right. Like, and then they like, you know, they're like, well, like, I really want to do this and this is what I want to aim for. Right. It, you know, it's like, if that's a marathon, if that's a half marathon, like if it's a 10 K great. Right. But I think the base of everything is being happy. So like, I think that's like prerequisite, like, boom, like that's a start. Um, second, I would say to prevent burnout, probably understanding how much an athlete has run before, how much experience they have running that, what they've done previously, right? What mistakes they've made previously, um, what you've seen in athletes prior, right? Kind of in a similar situation. Um, like, and I think that's going to dictate their training, you know? And almost kind of what you think they could handle. And sure, I, I think from time to time, like we make mistakes, right? From maybe not assessing the right VDOC correctly or from maybe writing too aggressive of a training plan. I mean, like I know that I'm I'm like a, a guilty party in that sometimes, right? Uh, but certainly, like, you know, like I think second, just looking at the athlete's past and looking at what they've done and what they could do and just kind of where they want to go with it. Um, three, I would say, so like I have this thing called a checklist that I give my athletes and, and, you know, like it, it could like, it, you know, like it could be anything from like, okay, like how's your rehab going? Like, how's your prehab going? Like, do you see like a massage therapist? Like, you know, like if you're having some issues with your post tib, are you seeing a physical therapist? Um, you know, like how many hours of sleep are you getting in? Like, what is your nutrition? Like, are you supplementing frequently with the volume that you're doing? Um, you know, like how is your diet? 
you know, and we're lucky to have professionals to kind of tag along with that. Um, but certainly, um, I mean, even from a mental, uh, I would, I would say even from like a mental perspective side, it's like, well, how do you view running? Like, where's your worldview in running? Right. So, um, I think that checklist means, means a, um, hell of a lot. I think starting with happiness and also knowing the athlete's history. Um, I, I mean, like, I mean, like, I think like those are my three right there. And I think that could prevent burnout 100%. Right. And I think part of it too is, is finding enjoyment in what we're doing, like true yes. enjoyment. Yes. Um, you know, there's, uh, no, there's so many studies like on, on burnout, just like, like in, in professions and stuff like that. And, and part of it can just be coming, coming from overuse in that arena. And the other thing too is supplementing that with things that we just love to do, right? Cause that's the thing here is that, you know, this is a hobby, right? This is something that is a complementary part of your life. And even if it's something that you absolutely love, you put time, effort, money, all this stuff into it, it's still, it's a, it's a, it's a hobby and you really want to enjoy it. So I try to tell all my athletes, like, find races that you are excited about. And your level of excitement for those races has to align with the length of the race. So you you if it's a shorter race, then you can be pretty interested in it. Like, you know, like, oh, this is, I'm, I'm curious. Let's try this out. Like if it's a mile, great. You don't want to be like kind of curious about a marathon. Like that's, you have to really, really want it. Yeah. Right. So I tell them all the time, like, Hey, find stuff, like go, go on to like all the racing calendars, find stuff that you are pumped. Like I want to do this race. This looks super fun. This isn't just like, Oh, it's the 5k near me. I might be home that weekend. Like, again, there's nothing wrong with that, but I would prefer it to be like, I gotta have it right. It's either a, a hell yes or a no type feel to it so that, so that you're really pumped so that this overriding feeling of, all right, like I got this new thing coming up and I can't wait to try that. And then I got another, another challenge coming up. I can't wait to try that. And all of a sudden you're just going down the path here of stuff that you can't wait to do. And that just makes everything more exciting. Yeah. Well, I mean like that excitement's number one, right? Because I mean, like, I think that's going to drive engagement and like, that's going to drive motivation. I like, you know, like, I think that's going to drive, you know, like keeping yourself like accountable. Um, but certainly I would say that excitement part's huge, man. I mean, that's something that even, you know, like, well, you know, like, I mean, like I pick races that I'm excited about, you know, I mean, like I don't do races that I'm not excited about. I mean, like I had a period of three years of my life when I was like picking races and I was like, I mean, I, I think they're paying 500 bucks. Maybe I'll do it, but I wasn't very excited about it. Um, so yes, that enjoyment and, and like being excited about just really just what you're doing is huge. Um, I think another just aspect of it that I did not mention was like, if you have an athlete that's working 50 hours a week, like 55, 60 hours a week and running is kind of very kind of far and few in between and you're setting up a schedule and sometimes they'll hit like three out of five or like four out of five days. Right. Um, and, and then like they have an aspiration of doing a marathon. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but I think in that timeline, it just doesn't make sense. So I think preventing burnout sometimes requires you to be realistic in what you can do based on life's demands. Um, do you ever find that that's the case for a lot of your athletes, Matt? I do. And what in those cases, what I try to tell them is that like, we, it doesn't have to be only running, right? Like I think that as runners, we get into this ecosystem where I'm either running or I'm not running. And it's like, listen, there are triathletes out there who are 
really good runners who aren't running seven days a week, right? And they're finding ways to build their aerobic system as Morgan our Pierce athletes who are coming back from injury. Like, it's ridiculous. We have athletes coming back from injury all the time who, again, I think you know, a couple of years ago, I was coaching this guy, Seth Baird, who like had one of the best races of his life. And we were doing so much bike work because of his hip or not hip. He had another issue at the time and he ended up having a great race because he was on the bike. He was crushing it. And he was someone who he had, he was a fast switch kind of athlete. So building the aerobic system was paramount anyway. And he didn't have to be on the roads for 80 miles a week to do that. He was in the rules like 30 miles a week, but he was on the bike for like four hours a week crushing it. And he was super duper fit. Like every other triathlete, like, like so many triathletes that we see out there, right? Like someone's a Nordic skier. Their aerobic system is through the roof. Again, you don't want those people to come off the Nordic skis and just run and step into a marathon. You want some level of running introduced, but, but, but it, it still holds. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but then there's also like the flip side to it, right? Like, let's say like that, like want and that need and that enjoyment is in the marathon and like, they just want to do it for completion or they just want to have a great time. There's like absolutely nothing wrong with that. Right. So, um, you know, like, I mean, like, I think, you know, like there's like a flip side to that and if you're enjoying it and if you're happy, then that's not burnout. That's exactly right. Like, even if you're working hard. So I feel like there's a lot of unique situations where burnout could happen, um, but there's different ways of preventing it. Right. And sometimes what we think is burnout might be something else, right? So I do think this is why and we, we talk about this all the time with McCurdy and we talk about it here on this podcast in part because we have a sponsor, Inside Tracker, who sponsors the shows. Um, and the reason that I have them as a sponsor is because I feel so strongly about this is doing quarterly or three times a year blood work so that you have, whether in not just doing it when you're feeling bad, doing it again, every, you know, three or four months so that you see where your levels are, where your baseline levels are, because maybe you feel like you're burnt out. Oh man, running is not going well, but no, maybe it's just your ferritin is low or your vitamin D is low, which is, you know, not out of the realm of possibility in the winter. Yeah. It's, it's, I encounter that a lot. And, and, you know, like, I think the first thing that we think of mentally, right. When those things happen, it's like, you know, like it's me, you know, I mean, like I'm not doing a great job, but it's not you. It's, it's just your blood numbers are, and like your blood values are so low. Right. And for like a normal person, like, you know, like, I mean, like that's fine, but if you're trying to, you know, just achieve something, you know, like on the um, athletic spectrum, and especially on the aerobic athletic spectrum, um, that could that could just very, very, very much affect you. And kind of like we talked about too, right? Like if that happens in summer training, think about how much that's that's actually magnified. So I mean, like, I think it's easy to think the worst of of, you know, oh, well, you know, like this is me, but it's not you. Like there's always a reason for it. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. If training is going badly, it's not like, oh, yeah, I completely agree with you 100%. And then what you just brought up a great point. And I want to reiterate it. People who weren't maybe sure what you're talking about is that as runners, especially as we build mileage, what are what we need for certain blood levels? Again, first of all, it's all individualized. Second of all, what may be okay for you as if say you were never running and you were just like not an athlete is maybe is a different a different level or different range of levels than you will need as someone who's like really trying to reach fitness goals and 
falling within the range that works for you for what you're trying to do is something that you're only going to know if you test, you know, fairly often. In addition, you're not going to fall within like the range if you just go Google like, hey, what's a good vitamin D level? Or even if you see your general practitioner, they might not be clued into what endurance athletes need for certain for certain biomarkers, not all of them, but for certain ones that, that, that might be more important for an endurance athlete than it would be for someone who just isn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like couldn't agree, agree with you more. Um, that's, that's, you know, like just a whole nother ballgame. All right. So we've been on here 45 minutes. Anything left that you want to say before we get going? You know, just like one thing that like I give, you know, like any one piece of advice to anyone is just, just like enjoy what you do and have fun. And I think a prerequisite for success doesn't mean if you, you know, like if you absolutely run a great marathon or if you run a great half, you know, or you run a great 5k, like I think the prerequisite for success is enjoying and just having fun in the process, you know, like, and if that's your base, you're going to be great at whatever you train for. There you go. You're, you're awesome either way, no matter what happens on race day, but it, whatever the race day doesn't matter in terms of how awesome you are, or sometimes even how well you trained. It just, I mean, like, it doesn't, I mean, like it shouldn't really validate you because the training you put in didn't go away like it didn't disappear like it's not like the marathon clocks like ah oh, oh, well you know like you'd run fast enough so like i'm gonna take this away uh, no no it's 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 you know that's all gained and you did that work and that's something that you should be really proud of um you know like if you know like you're training for everything um and more importantly you have somewhere to go from there because you know you are fitter and you are in a better place I love it. John, thank you so much for coming on this Coach's Corner episode. Also, big shout out to Four Sigmatic, my favorite coffee, mushroom coffee. It gives you the pep, gives you the caffeine, and it's good for you. What else do you want for that? Either morning, afternoon, or both. I'm always both. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't discriminate morning coffee. Oh, you got to send coffee. me a packet I, of this, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or even late night coffee when I'm recording with some of my West Coast friends as well. Go over to foursigmatic.com forward slash rambling runner or just code rambling runner to save 10% on your order. That's for F O U R Sigmatic dot com. Also, if you haven't done so go check out our YouTube channel, John doing shoe reviews, baby. I love running shoes. I uh, live and it. die shoes my whole <laughs> life. And now I'm finally reviewing the running shoes. Go check out the rambling runner YouTube channel once a week, putting out a shoe review. Did the Nike, Nike peg trail three, uh, this past week, next week I'm doing the, Puma Deviate Nitro, my favorite long run shoe right now. I'm wearing it tomorrow for 14. I can't wait for it. Have you done the Saucony ride yet? I don't like the ride. Oh, you I don't, don't like it. Okay. No. So I had, I've done the, I did, I've had, what I liked, I liked the Saucony ride ISO. I think it was four years ago. And then they switched to the Power Run foam. And then I think it was the ride 13. Ride 13 and 14 are the same. It was just different uppers. But the, the, the midsole and the outsole were the same. I didn't like the power run foam. It was just too firm for me, especially for a daily trainer. I think it actually would be really good if you run on dirt roads because you don't need as much give as a dirt road. I think it was a really good oh, dirt I mean, road daily trainer. It feels good on dirt roads here. Yeah. Yeah, because it has th- that um, has like that, that outsole is excellent. It had definitely the, the outsole was great. It was a fairly plush upper, and then the midsole for me was too firm. But again, if you're running on a dirt road, that might be what you need. So for I think for a pavement daily trainer, it wasn't my cup of tea. I like a little bit more squish, or if it's going to be firmer like that, then it has to be lighter. 
Um, it's like almost like the Brooks Ghost. I, I like the Brooks Ghost. It me is too high of a stack, so it has okay. a twelve millimeters uh, stack, um, which was a little bit, which is a little bit too much for me as a midfoot striker because all of a sudden I start heel striking by accident. And but I like the fact that they went to the DNA loft midsole in the most recent one, which was nice because they used to only have that in the glycerin. Well, now because it was the Bio Mogo midsole was in the Ghost, which was fine, but the the DNA loft uh, was a little bit more cushiony. And for some of my heel striking friends, I think that's a really good daily trainer. And it's only 130 bucks. It's gonna last. The Brooks rubber on the bottom, it never goes away. I mean, that thing, it that will survive the apocalypse. So <laughs> you'll be fine with that. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. Last but not least, if you're looking for a running coach, go over to McCurdyTrained.com. Heather and James will, will hit you up with either a coach that they think will work for you, or you can suggest a coach, whether it's me, John, or one of the other two dozen coaches on there as well. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.